listening to Lead Defend, the podcast designed to help you grow in faith and leadership as you navigate the stages of your young adulthood. We address important faith topics and provide practical life tips, helping you build your faith as you engage in a changing culture. Here are your hosts, Seth Tucker and Ryan Scantling. Hey, this is Ryan. I'm here with Seth, and we have a guest today, Keith Youngs. Keith, tell us a little bit about yourself. Hey, my name is Keith Youngs. Thank you guys for having me. Um, I'm originally from Rogers, Arkansas. Um, I graduated high school in 2015 and then moved to Conway and went to UCA um, and graduated in 2019, which uh, makes me feel incredibly old right now. Um, and I recently just moved to Jonesboro and started my career with the Hershey Company. So, Okay, so you've been in the largest three regions of Arkansas, really, Northwest Arkansas, Central Arkansas, and now in Jonesboro, which is your favorite? I'd have to say Northwest Arkansas, just the beauty and the opportunity up there and its home. So Northwest Arkansas. That's literally sounded like a commercial for Northwest. The beauty <laughs> yeah. and the opportunity. Yeah, I, I have that commercial as well, but I've learned that when you're in Central Arkansas, you don't give that commercial very there, often. There's a real rivalry. <laughs> I grew up right in the River Valley, Dardanelle, Russellville, and we just kind of learned to stay in the messy in between. Like, we don't really claim either one. Yeah, yeah. So, Keith, tell us about your college experience and – kind of how college was, and then we really want to dig in and talk about kind of getting ready for the workforce, how you went through that job process and finding a job and starting a career. Absolutely. Well, I would say the move to Conway wasn't the um, wasn't the most smooth thing possible. A lot of my friends, being from Northwest Arkansas, they went to the University of Arkansas in Fayetteville. So moving to Conway, I only had about two to three real friends. And when I came to Conway, I fell into a lot of things that weren't necessarily good for me. Um, I wasn't walking with Jesus. I wasn't following what we had, what he had for me. And so for the first two years of college, I really just sat back. I didn't really do anything that, um, I wasn't growing. Um, you know, my days consisted of naps and maybe working out once or twice, but that was it. I wasn't, that was optional. That was optional. And I wasn't really involved on campus. I was the go to class and go back to my dorm kind of guy. Yeah. Um, beginning, uh, in year three, my junior year, um, some things happened in my life. Um, I really started um, being compelled, being convicted to, um, to follow Jesus again. Um, I got involved um, with BCM, and I got involved with Second Baptist Church in Conway, started going to the uh, college services there, and that's where I really started to grow. Um, I felt like my life had direction again, and that's kind of where um, I started working on my career. So junior year, I finally declared a major. Um, I was general business for my freshman and sophomore year. Oh, so you're those kind of undeclared types until junior year. Absolutely. And I think the misconception is a lot of people think that you have to be, you have to know what you're doing freshman year. And that's completely Mm. false. Um, I had no idea what I was going to do. I knew I wanted to do business, but I didn't know that I wanted to do supply chain management, which is what my degree ended up being in. So I declared supply chain management junior year and everything started kind of falling into place. Um, I was working, um, in Rogers at the time at a grocery store. And then after that, after I declared my major, uh, I actually got an internship and started doing things that were actually kind of relevant to my career and uh, graduated in 2019 and uh, landed the job with Hershey. All right. So. so how does one get passionate about supply chain management? That's good that sounds like the least sexy <laughs> yeah. degree descriptor you could ever have. Data Absolutely. analyst. <laughs> <laughs> we're a little bit better than that. So don't, don't, don't put me that low, but, uh, Supply chain management, if you're passionate about eating food, if you're passionate Mm. about using your iPhone, Mm. it had to get to you somehow. And so I'm really interested in that process, how it gets to you. And there's a lot of things that people don't think about, like how they get their Tyson chicken today. 
nobody thinks about the truck driver that drove it how who knows how many miles or the slaughterhouse that yeah you know killed it um so people don't think about these things and it's really incredibly interesting to me um that being said i sell chocolate for a living so another misconception is you do have you to, or does it sell itself it Let's sells see. itself. It's Hershey chocolate. I mean, <laughs> I mean come on. Um, Reese's peanut butter cups, can't beat them. So I would say that a lot of people think that you have to be exactly in your major. Um, yeah. You know, yeah. let's let's say you have a, a doctor's degree. You don't have to do that for the rest of your life. You're not locked into that. You mm. can make changes if you're unhappy. And I think people get stuck and they think that, oh, I have this degree, I paid this much money for this degree, I have student loans, and I have to do this for the rest of my life. I just think that's not true. You need to do it to you, what makes you happy. Um, and so that being said, I sell chocolate, I'm a salesman, um, just because I have a supply chain degree, that doesn't actually mean I have to do supply chain for the rest of my life. Yeah, so you talk about passion, and do you think it's important to really find something that you're passionate about, to pursue that, the reality is there's a lot of college graduates who start looking for jobs and they can't always find the thing that fits their passion from the start. How important is passion in pursuing your career? Uh, mildly important at the beginning, but very important uh, towards the middle, I would say, and, and after that. So at the beginning, really, you're, what you're looking to do is build experience. Um, you, have, you have your college degree. You're looking to get a job of any type, honestly, um, especially during these times. Um, you're wanting to get a job. So does it have to be something that you're like, I want to do this the rest of my life? Absolutely not. And that kind of goes back to the doing what your degree is in for the rest of your life. Um, I would say get in the door anywhere um, that is paying you a decent wage for, you know, having a college degree. And then you can kind of feel it out, see what you like, see what you're actually passionate about. So it is important, but I wouldn't say until, you know, three or four years, because at the beginning, you're building your reputation, you're building your experience. After that, you can tackle whatever you're passionate about. Yeah, for sure. Seth and I do ministry, and, and I think it would be fair to say that passions also grow over time based on how God uses you in certain environments and stuff. Um, tell us a little bit, Keith, about preparing your resume. So you were in college, and at some point in the process, you started actually thinking, i got to get a job after <laughs> yeah. this. College doesn't last forever. Um, though some people drag it out into almost lasting forever, so at what point do you start thinking about your resume and how do you build a good resume? Yeah, so I think junior year is the perfect time for most people to start building their resume. That's when I started doing it. Um, and honestly, you start looking at it and you can kind of see where you fall, where you need to get more experience or maybe I need to volunteer a little bit more. So I think junior year, first off, you kind of know what you're going to be doing. At least you have a major declared, hopefully. Not the end of the world if you don't. And then, so you'll, you'll build the resume um, it's pretty simple. So you want to make it your own, but you don't want to be too flamboyant with it. So don't use the templates on Google or Microsoft yeah. Word. Don't do that or on <laughs> Google Docs. Because when you think about it, and my boss will admit to this too, you have 30 seconds with a resume to make an impression. There's going to be mm -hmm. a stack of 50 to 100 resumes, and they're looking at it. If there's proofreading mistakes, if, if there's spelling errors, formatting errors, you're automatically going to go in the trash. Mm -hmm. So when you're building your resume, you really do need to shoot for perfection. Mm -hmm. um, and there's really four categories that you want to have on there. Um, a mission statement, which can be as simple as my mission is to get this job with said company. Really? So everybody, regardless of kind of career field, should have some mission statement? I would say so. Um, 
resumes are going to differ a little bit, like obviously a ministry resume or a mm-hmm. medical resume is going to be a little bit different. But speaking generally, I would say most people should have a mission statement on their resume. Um, That's helpful. Actually, Seth, we need to do a podcast about mission statements for your life. Like, yeah. What are those statements that guide your life? Yeah, and that's something you can put on your resume. Um, it doesn't have to be too long. For some people, it may be simple. But if for the people who have discovered the, those things that they're extremely passionate about, maybe you can put that in your mission statement. Because that's the first thing that your potential employer is going to read. And that mm-hmm. sets you apart. So the second thing I would say is obviously have your education on there. So if you're college educated, you want to have your degree, what it was in, how long it took you to get it, maybe your GPA or something on there. But that's not an excuse if you're still in college. You can put your anticipated graduation on there um, Mm -hmm. just so your employer knows what they're going to be working with, especially when you're applying when you're still in school, which I highly recommend you do. And then you'll also have uh, your experience. So I would say you want to keep this extremely relevant experience. So if you volunteered at the Boys and Girls Club and you're applying to be a PA or something like that, not completely relevant. Maybe you could put that in your volunteer section but not under your experience. So you want to keep it extremely relevant um, to what you're applying for. Hmm. And then finally, um, obviously some volunteerism, some strengths, maybe you're fluent in a different language. You want to put that on there. Anything, Mm -hmm. when somebody's scanning your resume for 30 seconds, they can say, oh, wow, this person is fluent in Spanish, or they had an internship at a doctor's office, or anything Mm -hmm. like that. That's going to get you out of the trash pile and into the interview pile. So really, I would say most people coming out of college, of course, there's some variations, but most people should keep their resume to one page uh, as they're coming out of college. It's better to have what's important on there and not have fluff than to have two pages because that's what you've been told to have. Absolutely. And and Mm. it'd just be fluff. I'd also say, like, I don't know if this is in the business world, but in ministry, we're encouraged, I've been encouraged to have uh, action verbs with short statements Mm. that are quantifiable. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Like, this is what we did, and this is the action verb, how we did it, you know? Yeah. Yeah, so you want, I always use the ED rule, and I think you took the words right out of my mouth. So you, you could say, provided ex- excellent customer service at this job, or challenged my peers um, to complete a project in time. If you're, it, action verbs, exactly as you said, if you have that on your resume, a potential interviewer can say, tell me about how you did this. And you already have things in your mind that you can go through, provide examples to them. So really the purpose of a resume is to get to the interview. Correct. And so, but that's a big moment. So tell us, Keith, when you were going through that process, you graduated just right out a year ago now. Mm -hmm. When you were part of that process, how many resumes did you send out? Did you send them everywhere or only in a a very kind of specific field? And how did it go getting to that interview moment? Yeah, so I sent them far and wide. I was looking for any possible job. Um, I sent them basically anything related to business. So I probably sent or submitted over 200 applications. And I think that's where people get really discouraged is you're submitting these Mm -hmm. applications online over and over again. It's a time-consuming process. And you'll get automatic emails the next day saying, we're going to go with somebody else. And so people can get really discouraged and bogged down in that. Hmm. I would say only... 10 to 5 to 10 percent um actually you know followed up with me or showed any interest wow so how many interviews did you get out of 200 plus resumes or applications four four yep yeah so uh, and that was four different companies but yeah you got to think about you've got to spread your net you got to cast a wide net uh in order to land these jobs so don't get don't get discouraged keep sending those applications and if your resume is perfect 
you might get one. All right, so let's talk about the interview because there were those four companies that called you and said, Keith, you are our stud in resume form. <laughs> we need to interview you. So how do you do that? Were they virtual? Were they face-to-face? -face? If they were face-to-face, -face, what are some pro tips in landing a good interview? Yeah, so a lot of interviews, I say, are staged or tiered. So you're going to have a, an interview with maybe someone a little lower in the organization, kind of a screening interview, mm. and those are going to be extremely general. So for those interviews, confidence is key. If you walk in there and you're you know, kind of skittish and not feeling very confident about the situation – a screening interviewer is mainly just looking for confidence and someone who kind of knows what they're talking about. You don't have to know the ins and outs of the job or really be able to speak to many things related to your experience. Hmm. I think most of it is conducting yourself in a professional way and just being confident. So you have this, the screening interview and then normally you get passed on to a manager or somebody who would be potentially hiring you. And so yeah. for those interviews, we this talked This is for larger organizations, yeah. probably. Correct, correct. Because um, that's mainly what I had experience with. Yeah. Um, smaller organizations, you may only have one shot. So um, keep that in mind as well. But um, How did you dress for the interview? Suit and I think, tie. Yeah. Um, and I think... I think a lot of people too, especially young people, they're like, oh, I can, you know, I can have an untucked shirt as long as it's buttoned up. You know, people wear jeans to weddings now. And I don't, again, you're setting yourself apart. If somebody looks at you and said, man, they wore jeans to interview. They were a great interviewer, but they wore jeans. Like, what are they going to wear when they're in a business meeting? How are they going to conduct themselves? Well, Keith, that's a good point too, because you are most likely as a college graduate interviewing with someone a generation above you, maybe right. two generations above Most you. Most likely two once you get to the second interview. Yeah. yeah. And, and they have different expectations of how people would conduct themselves in a business setting. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So suit and tie, I think, is for pretty much any career field is going to be the go-to. Um, yeah, for so the for ladies, guys, suit and tie, and then for the ladies? Something professional, um, a dress, something modest, obviously. Um, something that they're going to look at you say they know how to conduct themselves in a professional environment. Mm -hmm. um, and so in that interview they're going to pull directly off your resume. Most, most interviewers, their tactic is to look at your resume, you know, those action statements that you have listed. Tell me about a time when you did this. Tell me about a time when you challenged someone. Tell me when you provided great customer service. Could you provide examples of that? And you need to be prepared to answer those questions. And if you're not prepared, that's, that's not so great. So be prepared to answer those questions. Again, be confident. And I think some people, some interviewers, will try to throw curveballs at you. This hmm. is the point where they're going to try to set you off your feet a little bit. Obviously, you've prepared for the interview, and so they want to throw you, throw you something that potentially throws you off. So they may ask you some random trivia about the company you're applying at, or they'll ask you, you know, how's your day been? Just like simple questions that normally wouldn't throw people off, but when people are so dialed in on what they're going to say – it can trip some people up. So be natural in your conversation. Don't be all tense and realize that it's more of a conversation instead of someone just pegging you with questions. I think that's a good word, natural, yeah. but also professional at the same time. Yeah. And you can do both. It is doable. Um, so if you're dressed appropriately, you have your resume, you have extra copies of your resume because mm -hmm. the interviewer may say, you know, where's your resume? I want to take a look at it. And if you're not prepared, these are, these are things they do to test you. And if you, if, if you don't show them that you're prepared, they're going to look at somebody else. All right, so you interviewed with four companies. Uh, yep. Ultimately, you accepted a job at Hershey. Why, why did you accept a job there? So 
again, I told you guys I worked at a grocery store for several years, and I think I'm more passionate about retail than anything else. Um, I enjoy just the, the ins and outs of stores and how they work and the analytics that are behind it. And so I think that's where supply chain management kind of kind of helped is having those that analytical background, being able to look at data, look at sales data and things like that. So when I saw the job with Hershey, you know, it doesn't have an office. I'm, I'm driving around in and out of Walmarts. Um, and I get to interact with different people every single day. Hmm. So I appreciated that. And that's kind of what draw, drew me to Hershey. Also, it's a, it's a sizable company. Um, it's a respected company. So th- those are things to think about when you're applying. You know, what do people, like, what are people's perception of this company? Like, mm-hmm. when you say, I work here, what are they going to say? Like, oh, what's hmm. that? Or I'm not sure if I agree with that. But with Hershey, I knew I could always say, you know, I work at Hershey. And people are like, oh, awesome. Mad respect instantly. Yeah, you know, people are like, hey, can I get a free Reese's cup? And I always tell them no. <laughs> <laughs> so so. I, I'm kind of infatuated. Keith, one of the, the things that was interesting about your career move and starting your career is that it required you to change cities, which meant leaving a community that you knew mm-hmm. and transitioning to another community. How did that go? What was difficult about that? And what pro tips do you have for transitioning to a community in your young adult years. Absolutely. So it was extremely humbling. Uh, when I moved to Jonesboro, I didn't know anyone, um, absolutely no one. And so it's kind of like the transition from high school to college, except there are no functions that bring people together that you're required to go to. There's yeah. no, there's no football games anymore. There's, I mean, there is, but there's not yeah. that people are all going to go to, um, mm. that are your age. And so you, you go, you step into the city and you're like, what is there to do? Um, and you kind of have to put yourself into situations that you normally wouldn't in order to make community. So I would say, I'm going to steal something from the pastors here, use a little alliteration. I would say you have to be (laughs) prayerful, but you have to be extremely practical as well. Hmm. So on the prayerful side, obviously you need to be praying every day for Christian community, because I think there's a difference between community and Christian community, Mm -hmm. a big distinction. So a Christian community is going to hold you accountable. They're going to pour into you. You can pour into them. Um, and you're going to feel like you're growing. The other, you know, non-Christian community, you will not have that. So you need to pray and believe that God's going to give you Christian community in this new place that you're moving to. And the second thing, you have to be extremely practical about what you're doing. So you may believe that God's going to give you this incredible community, but if you don't say yes to literally everyone that hits you up, hmm. you're you're not you're not doing anything. You're not building anything. So, what are some of those opportunities to say yes to? So, you may meet someone uh, at your apartment complex that you just moved into, and they may say, "Hey, you want to come over sometime? We'll catch some football. We'll go eat." Mm-hmm. Say yes. You may have the opportunity to go to a church service or maybe invited to sit on a college service. Yeah, you're not in college anymore, but that doesn't mean you can't hang out with those people. Say yes to that. Hmm. Um, I, think, I think God will give you the opportunities if, you, if you're prayerful in that and you're faithful in that. Um, but to be faithful in that, you've got to take those opportunities. So for me, um, I had a mutual friend that lived in Jonesboro. And they introduced me to a few guys. They gave them my contact information. They hit me up. If I would have said no to that, I wouldn't have the community I have today. Mm-hmm. And so you you have to throw yourself in uncomfortable situations. You have to say, yeah, I'll hang out with these people for the first time. I don't know them, but I'll go get dinner with them. So if you put yourselves in those put yourselves in those scenarios, you may you'll meet people. You'll develop connections slowly. This hmm. is a process. It takes time. So I've lived in Jonesboro for a little over a year now. And I would say it took 
eight to nine months before I fully felt comfortable. Um, and I think a lot of people um, get extremely lonely very quickly. I did. Um, I know the first six, seven months, you know, my girlfriend lived elsewhere. All my friends lived elsewhere. And it, it was e very easy to get bogged down in the day-to-day -day of work and then be like, yeah, I don't really want to do anything else today. But those mm. are the opportunities you have to build community, to hang out with people. And so you got to take those. Absolutely. So I'm interested. You're kind of low man on the totem pole in the company yeah. uh, with ambitions, of course, to grow your career. How do you live out your faith being kind of the newbie in a company or an organization? Absolutely. I think, and that's extremely hard. I will say that because there's a culture that's been established before I, you know, I was even there. Yeah. And sometimes that yeah. culture may not align with Christian morals and values. Yeah. And so there's, I mean, it's a challenge. I will say, you know, when the company um, is going out and everybody's having a few drinks and stuff like that, you have to take those opportunities to show you're a Christian by your actions and mm. set yourself apart. You set yourself apart in the interview, but now you have to set yourself apart in the job. Wow. So it never ends. Um, and so you take those opportunities and maybe that leads to spiritual conversations with people. Um, I think just because you're on the bottom of the totem pole doesn't mean you can't impact people. That's a good That's word. Right. It's a really good word. I'd also say like one thing that, that stuck out is you said early on in your career, like you, you can't just be picky and, yeah. and you, your passion is not quite as important. It needs to be more about how you do things in my mind than, than what you're doing sometimes, mm -hmm. because, you know, one of the keys is you don't want to be that, that college graduate that just doesn't have a job because they're waiting for God to tell them exactly what they should do or, you know, whatever. One of my favorite books is a book called, uh, just do something by Kevin DeYoung. And in mm. that book, he talks about how, uh, you know, just go out and do something until God tells you exactly what you should be doing. Because if you're striving to be in God's will, it's hard to be out of his will. And really the only thing wrong you could do is sit there idly and live off somebody else's dime, yeah. you know, uh, whether it be at your parents or your grandparents or something like that. Like, so just do something. And in that time you're, you're developing who you are because God cares more about who you are at Hershey working for them, or he cares more about us in, in who we are personally more than what yeah. we're doing. You know, and I think some people may be listening to this and be discouraged because they've put out resumes or looking for okay. jobs. The first yeah. interview went terrible. Keith, why don't you close out by giving a word of encouragement to those folks? Absolutely. So I moved to a new place. Um, I knew no one. And, you know, it takes time. And I think that's the, that's the thing that we're, excuse me, that's where people bog down the most is they think this is going to happen instantly. I'm going to pray for this and God's going to instantly give me this community. You need to remember your part. You need to build it. As Seth said, you need to go out and do something, whether that's keep sending applications, you keep praying, you, you know, go door to door and hand out applications. There's always something you can do that can impact your life and impact your career. So I would just encourage you to keep doing that. Stay faithful that God's going to provide an opportunity, whatever it's going to be. Um, and make sure to say yes to those opportunities when they come along. It may not be what you think you would have for your life, but it may be what God has for your life. Yeah, Keith, thank you for saying yes to being on this podcast. Uh, this is practical, good stuff for you guys to take and apply to your life. Um, season two is coming up, and that's exciting. This is the end, Seth, of season it. one. It's been a long journey. It's been a fun journey. But season two will kick off here in Jan July. July. January. -July. Uh, July 2020 is going to be good, and you need to tune in. Until then, we will see you later. 
That's it for this episode of Lead Defend. Until next time, check out our website at leaddefend.org for details on the next Lead Defend conference or shoot Seth and Ryan an email at leaddefend at absc.org. If you want to help us out, rate and review Lead Defend on your podcast app and make sure to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. Thanks for listening. Now go lead. A podcast from the Arkansas Baptist State Convention.